welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. From Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, God chose me to be an apostle, and he appointed me to preach the good news. This letter is to all of you in Rome. God loves you and has chosen you to be his very own people. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 7, Contemporary English Version. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're very grateful that you're able to be with us today as we continue forward with our new series on Anchored by Truth. We've entitled this series, Paul's Places. By Paul, we're referring to the Apostle Paul, who wrote at least 13 of the books out of 27 books that comprise the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, of course, started out life named Saul. But the fire-breathing rebel Saul was converted on the road to Damascus by an encounter with the risen Christ. Then in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, the writer of Acts, Luke, tells us that Saul was also called Paul. To help us learn more about Paul's places, we have R.D. Fierro back in the studio. R.D. is an author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., why did you want to do this series, Paul's Places? Well, before I begin commenting on that, I would like to add my thanks to yours for all the listeners who are tuning in today. Whether they're listening on the broadcast or the podcast, we're really grateful for anyone who will devote part of their day or week to us. We know that everyone is very, very busy, and so we're just grateful that you would take some time out of your day to spend a little time with us and studying the Bible with us, trying to learn what it has to say to all of us, helping us to live better lives, and most importantly, helping us to learn how to better glorify our Lord, Master, and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this series, because while most Christians know that while several of the books in the New Testament are named after places, nine books to be exact, and among those nine books, there are seven different places named, because two of the named cities received two letters from Paul. Right. Twenty-one of the books of the New Testament are essentially just letters, letters sent from one writer to a person or to a group such as a particular church. You often hear those letters being referred to as epistles, but really epistles are just a form of a letter that was sent from one person to another in those times, and those letters are pretty much the same as the kind of letters that are sent today. Though none of those letters were sent by email. (laughs) Right again. The best scholarship tells us that all of the books in the New Testament were written in the first century A.D., with the majority of those books probably written between 45 to 65 A.D. So, those 21 letters were sent by three different writers. The Apostle John wrote three epistles, the Apostle Peter wrote two, and two of the epistles were sent by Jesus' half-brothers, Jude and James. And then Paul wrote 13 of the remaining 14 letters or epistles, And the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is not named. 
Now, many scholars think that Paul also wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but since the epistle to the Hebrews does not name its writer, that's not a certainty. And there are some scholars who believe that another figure from the early church, such as Apollos or Barnabas, may also have written Hebrews. And nine of Paul's 13 epistles are named in the Bible by the destination to which the epistle was sent. And there are seven different destinations. Yes. Now, in the order in which those epistles are included in the New Testament, these so-called Pauline epistles were sent to the churches in Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, or some people say Thessalonica, and Colossae. Six of the seven destinations named are cities, and one, Galatia, was a region similar to a small American state. Three of those cities are located in what would be the nation of Greece today. Two of those cities and Galatia are located in what would be the nation of Turkey. And Rome, of course, was located in the same place then as today in Italy. Yes. Corinth, Philippi, and Thessalonica are located in what is today modern-day Greece. But in Paul's day, Philippi and Thessalonica were located in a region called Macedonia, and Corinth was located in a region called Achaia. Ephesus, Colossae, and Galatia are all in modern-day Turkey. And as you said, Rome is right where Rome has always been. And today, we want to focus on the epistle to the Romans. So, what are we hoping to see as we examine each of these epistles in turn? Well, first of all, I want people to focus on the fact that contrary to uninformed critics, the Bible is not filled with, quote, myths and fairy tales. Now, it is true that the Bible reports on supernatural events in the same way that it reports on mundane or secular matters. And as we often say on Anchored by Truth, we can have confidence in the Bible's reports about supernatural matters because in the areas where we can directly test the Bible's historical and geographic accuracy, we see that the Bible writers were accurate. It's a very simple principle. If we have a friend who we know to be honest and truthful, and then one day that friend tells us they saw something extraordinary, our first impulse should be to trust their report. We can trust their report because we have a track record and a history with that person that tells us the person consistently tells the truth. Naturally, the opposite might be true. If we know someone who constantly lies, then we might have reason to doubt them, even if occasionally they tell us something that is true. Right. Character matters. And when the Bible's character is tested in ways that we can verify, the Bible always stands up to the test. So, one of the reasons we are doing this series is to help people see that the geography of the Bible is real, reliable geography. This is not true with some books that claim to have come from God, is it? No, but in keeping with our very long-standing practice on Anchored by Truth, we do not normally criticize other works by name. Our practice is very simple. We proclaim the truth of the Bible, which is the Word of God, And also, frankly, the time that we have for doing these shows is limited. So we are not going to spend precious, valuable time discussing the errors of others. We want to focus on demonstrating that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. But the basic point stands. As we will see throughout this series, not only can you find the locations to which the epistles were sent on maps of the time, 
The situations discussed within the individual letter correspond to what we know about the character and culture of the location. Exactly. So we're going to start with the epistle, the letter, to the church in Rome, because the book of Romans is the first book in the order of most modern Bibles after the four Gospels and the book of Acts. Now, no one holds that the order of the epistles, the order of the arrangement of the books in the New Testament is inspired. But nevertheless, the order in our Bibles does help us to see how the early church fathers felt about that particular book. And the book of Romans occupies the first position, not because it was the first book written chronologically, but because of its importance and because the importance of the church that was located in what was the most important city in the Roman Empire. The Book of Romans has been placed first pretty much since the time the New Testament was assembled in the 4th century AD. It has held this place in the sacred canon, even though many commentators believe that Galatians, 1 Corinthians, and perhaps 1 and 2 Thessalonians were written before it. Right. Romans contains the most complete treatment of the major doctrines of the Christian faith that is found in any of the epistles. In the book of Romans, Paul discussed the great doctrines of regeneration, justification, sanctification, and frankly, the need for evangelism. Paul discussed the weighty themes of judgment, God's wrath against sin, man's universal rebellion, and the primacy of the need for faith, for reconciliation between man and God to be possible. And yet, with all of the weighty matters that Paul undertook in the book of Romans, he still made sure that the book of Romans provided some of the most comforting language that is found in the entire Bible. I'm sure you're thinking of that famous section from chapter 8 of Romans, especially the part contained in verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's from the New International Version. Yes. So, in and amongst all these principles and doctrine that Paul included in Romans, Paul never lost sight of the need to be encouraging to his readers. While the book of Romans contains some of the most sobering observations in all of Scripture, like, quote, there is none who does good, no, not one, unquote. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 12 in the New King James Version. Yes, in that line that you just read, Paul was quoting from Psalm 14, verse 3. But in addition to all the sobering language that Paul gave us in Romans, he also gave us so much encouragement, like the assurance that nothing can separate us from God's love, and the assurance that we are more than conquerors through the God that loves us. So Romans contains these great discussions of these great themes, but in Romans, Paul also took great pains to discuss the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles with respect to Christianity. Chapters 9 through 11 of the book of Romans contains one of the most thorough explanations in the Bible of the Jewish roots of Christianity and how God now views the Jews and the Gentiles with respect to the church. 
And essentially, Paul tells us that anyone who places their faith in Jesus for salvation, whether they are a Jew or Gentile, will be saved. Paul notes that even though Israel was God's chosen people and was the original recipient of God's word, that even in the Old Testament there was the promise that someday God's plan of salvation would include the Gentiles. Yes. Paul took more time in the book of Romans to discuss the interaction between Jews, Gentiles, the church, and the history of salvation than in any other book of the New Testament. So we can be sure that one reason he did that was because the Roman church was composed of Jewish and Gentile believers. But Rome, of course, was a long way from the Holy Land. Why would there have been so many Jews in Rome? Well, in 63 BC, the Roman general Pompey the Great overran Judea. He essentially conquered Judea. And when Pompey did that, he sent a very large number of Jewish prisoners to Rome to be sold as slaves. But the Romans found out that it was not so easy to control the Jews that Pompey sent from Judea to Rome. The Jews were pretty stubborn. They were very resolute about adhering to their faith and to the rights of the Jewish religion. So eventually the Romans chose to give the Jews their freedom, and they assigned the Jews a place that was in the vicinity of Rome, but it was across the Tiber River from the main city. And the Jews built a town that was principally inhabited by them. And we know from history that after all of this occurred, that Judaism actually became one of the religions that was accepted officially by the Roman Empire. And because the Jewish religion was officially accepted within the Roman Empire, the Jews were exempt from worshiping Caesar, which most of the citizens of the empire were not. So during Paul's day in Rome, there were plenty of Jews. And obviously, many of those had come to accept Christ as their Savior, as the Messiah. So those Jewish converts, those Jewish believers in Christ as the Messiah, along with the Gentile converts, comprised the Roman church in Paul's time. So this explains why Paul would have taken such great pains to go into relationship between Jews, Gentiles, and the church. There were probably lots of discussions within the Roman church as to who had to do what or who was to blame for what. This was long before the New Testament existed. Undoubtedly, there was a great deal of confusion about some issues that today we almost take for granted. Right. And Paul either knew about the differences from reports he had received, or quite likely Paul could have guessed that any church comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers would have certain questions. And it's apparent from the book of Romans that at the time that Paul wrote to the church in Rome that he had not yet personally been there. Although later, he would go to Rome in person after he was arrested in Jerusalem. And, as a Roman citizen, he appealed to the emperor to hear his case. We hear about that episode in chapters 24 through 28 of the book of Acts. Yes. Most commentators believe that Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans between the years 55 and 57 A.D., and most commentators focus on the year 57 A.D. as the most likely year in which Paul actually wrote Romans. Why is that? Well, around 52 or 54 A.D., the Roman emperor, who was named Claudius, banished all the Jews from Rome. And we read about that in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. Acts 18.2 tells us that Paul first met a husband and a wife named Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. They had left Rome 
because of the decree of the Emperor Claudius that all the Jews had to leave Rome. So Aquila and Priscilla's departure from Rome had to have occurred after the year 52 AD. Well, in Acts 18.19, we're told that Paul left Corinth, accompanied by Aquila and Priscilla, and that Paul subsequently left the pair of them at Ephesus. Paul then made a journey through the regions that were near the vicinity of Ephesus, and finally he returned to Ephesus. Paul's return to Ephesus is reported in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And then Paul stayed at Ephesus for at least two more years. In the epistle to the Romans, Paul actually sends his greetings, his salutation, to Aquila and Priscilla. So by the time Paul wrote Romans, Aquila and Priscilla had left Ephesus and had returned back to Rome, which again was where they originally started out. So the book of Romans could not have been written until after Aquila and Priscilla had left Ephesus and returned to Rome. And so that would have been at least three years after the decree of Emperor Claudius that was around the years 52 or 54 AD. But we also have some other clues as to the timing of Romans. We know that when Paul wrote this epistle to Romans, he was about to depart for Jerusalem to take them a collection taken up by the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, which had been made for the poor. That's in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 26. And Paul said that when he had done this, he intended to go to Rome. That's Romans chapter 15, verse 28. So that gives us further clues as to the timing of when Romans was written. Right. Now, going back to the book of Acts again, we can determine when that occurred. In Acts, Paul said he sent Timothy and Erastus ahead of him into Macedonia while Paul was still in Asia. We find that in Acts 19.22. And after this, Paul himself went into Macedonia, and he passed through there, and he remained there about three months. So, on this particular journey, it's almost certain that Paul went to Corinth, which was the capital of Achaia. Remember that Achaia was basically southern Greece, and Macedonia was northern Greece. Well, we know that Romans was written at Corinth. We also know that after Paul wrote the book of Romans, again from Corinth, Paul then went back to Jerusalem, where he was arrested and became a prisoner. And Paul remained a prisoner after his arrest for at least two years. We see that from Acts chapter 24, verse 27. And then after those two years of being imprisoned, Paul was then sent to Rome around 60 AD. So if you allow time for all the traveling and Paul's two-year imprisonment, it must have been at least three years after Paul had written Romans from Corinth until the time that he actually arrived in Rome as a prisoner. When you take all that together, that means that it's most likely that the epistle to the Romans, the letter to Romans that Paul wrote, must have been written around 57 AD. How do we know that Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans while he was in Corinth? Well, one reason is because the epistle to the Romans mentions Phoebe, and Phoebe was a member of the church at Sincrea. Well, Sincrea was the port city for the city of Corinth. Sincrea is located about seven or eight miles away from Corinth. And Paul commends Phoebe to the Roman Christians. Phoebe most likely carried the letter, the letter that actually became our book of Romans. Now remember that in Romans, Paul sent his greetings to Aquila and Priscilla, two people that he knew very well. 
So Paul could very easily have told Phoebe that when she went to Rome, that she was to seek out Aquila and Priscilla and give them the letter. At a minimum, Phoebe must have accompanied the letter because Paul commends her to the Roman Christians in the letter. Another reason we know that Paul wrote Romans from Corinth is because in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, a gentleman named Gaius is spoken of as the host of Paul. Well, Gaius lived in Corinth, and Paul had baptized him. Erastus is also mentioned as the chamberlain of the city where the epistle to the Romans was written. And we know from 2 Timothy that Erastus is mentioned as having his home in Corinth. So if you put all this together, there is very good, very strong evidence that the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul from the city of Corinth around the year 57 AD. And at that time, Rome was pretty much at the peak of its power. So Paul wrote the most complete description of the doctrines and principles of the Christian faith to a church located in the most important city in the Roman Empire. And of course, the Roman Empire was where God began the distribution of the gospel. Later, and throughout history, including today, the gospel has spread far beyond the boundaries of the old Roman Empire. But God chose to begin the gospel spread within the Roman Empire. So, at the time Paul wrote Romans, we can be very sure he knew he was writing an important letter to the church located in the most important city of his time. All that fits together very well. Paul knew his letters would circulate beyond its initial recipient or audience, and he knew people from all over the empire would travel to and through Rome. So it was simply good common sense for him to ensure that the epistle, the letter, he wrote to the church in Rome was a thorough discussion of the foundations of the Christian faith. But we don't really know what prompted Paul to write the letter, do we? No. Paul does not give us the specifics of his initial impulse to write the letter. But I think we can use what Dr. John Gerstner used to call our sanctified imagination and come up with a plausible scenario. Well, you're a fiction writer. I am. So, in my imaginative world, here's at least one plausible scenario. We know from Acts chapter 18 that after Paul had met Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth, they all went to Ephesus together. That made sense. They were all tent makers, and in addition to their ministry needs, they might have been looking for a good place to run their tent making business. Aquila and Priscilla had had a very successful tent making business in Rome, but when they got displaced, they had to reestablish their business. Well, Ephesus was one of the primary business centers within the Roman Empire, and it was the primary business center for what the Romans called the province of Asia. So we know from Acts 18 that Paul left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus when he went back to Israel to conclude what is called Paul's second missionary journey. Well, sometime after Paul left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus, as we've said, they returned to Rome. So they likely returned to Rome after Claudius was no longer the emperor, and Claudius died in October of 54 AD. So after Claudius was no longer the emperor, things had probably calmed down enough in Rome for them to return. And having spent a year or two with Paul, they were now well trained in the Christian faith. So much so that in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 27, we hear, quote, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
unquote. That's from the New International Version. Right. So after Aquila and Priscilla returned to Rome, by this time they're Christian, so they probably found some other believers and formed or joined a church. Well, sometime later, they probably found out that Paul was now on his third missionary journey and was going to be in Corinth. So it's entirely possible that Aquila and Priscilla sent a message to Paul and asked him if he could come to Rome. Corinth is a relatively short boat ride away from Rome, so from a travel standpoint, that would have made sense. And Paul wanted to go to Rome, but right then he couldn't. In Acts chapter 18, verses 23 through 26, we hear, quote, I have been longing for many years to visit you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem, unquote. Exactly. So, Paul couldn't go to Rome at that point. He had to get back to Jerusalem. So, Paul did the next best thing. He sat down and wrote a comprehensive letter to the church where his good friends and former ministry partners were located. And Paul had probably found Phoebe, knew she was reliable, and he knew that he could trust Phoebe to take this letter to Rome. And Phoebe lived in a port city, so she may very well have traveled frequently, even to Rome. She may have had her own business, since in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, quote, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant in the church in Centria, and that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, unquote. Right. The point is that when you look at the details of the people, the places, and the larger political and cultural setting, Paul's writing the letter that he did to the church in Rome at the time he did makes perfect sense. Sometimes I think people may think that when the Bible writers were inspired to write the books that are in the Bible, they get the impression that the writer heard a voice from the clouds, had a bright light shined on them, and heard the command, write. God sometimes deals with people that way, but more often God does his work through ordinary people using ordinary means. Right. The letter to the church in Rome was a real letter written by a real man to real people, people just like us. Now, in our next episode of Anchored by Truth, we're going to expand on this theme a bit more. But for today, as we close, we just want people to realize that like all of the Bible, Paul's letters are perfectly consistent with what we know about the larger context in which they were written. This sounds like a great time for a prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer for the missionaries of our time, the people that today carry the gospel to the furthest corners of the world just as the Apostle Paul carried it to the corners of the world he knew. A Prayer for Christian Missionaries Father of Redemption, you are a powerful and loving God and our ever-faithful tower of refuge and strength. May all the earth sing praises to your name. Lord, The Bible rightly asks how the lost can hear of the salvation available through Christ's life, death, and resurrection unless preachers are sent to proclaim the gospel. We know they cannot, and today, a great many of your faithful people continue to leave their families and homes 
to travel to remote corners to preach your message of hope and good news. Today, we want to pray for all these missionaries and to thank you for your provision of them. Lord, we know that many missionaries preach the gospel in lands where your word is not welcome. We know that there are many places where government leaders and authorities will exercise the full power of their offices to oppose and persecute your messengers. We ask that you watch over these missionaries, protecting them as they travel and minister and confounding the efforts of those who seek their harm. We pray that you would open the hearts of those who hear the word. Give them the courage to accept Christ, even as they risk their lives to do so. Bring leaders out of the converted so that ministries and churches once begun will continue to grow and expand. While not all are called to go or preach, we know that there is a way that all of us can contribute. Christ commanded that his word be spread until he returns again. So in his holy name we pray for his kingdom and his messengers. Amen. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, Try out crystalseabooks.com where we're not perfect, but our boss is.